Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. I'm Linda Crater, and my co-host today is Jason McNamara. We are joining you during June, which is PTSD Awareness Month, and we decided to take a different twist of looking at and shining the light on a lesser-known aspect of PTS, post-traumatic stress, that of the family members. So we've titled this session A Family Affair, and we have two wonderful guests today, and we intend to have an enlightening conversation about uh, families, PTS, how to recognize it in family members, uh, teens, youth, uh, spouses, what is the connection between PTSD and depression, anxiety, suicide risk, and stigma. So without further ado, let me introduce two guests. Just briefly, they can tell, start by telling their stories. We have Judy Davis, who is known to many around the world as the Direction Diva. She's a military spouse, motivational speaker, author, and lifestyle blogger, and a specialist in teen suicide prevention. Uh, Judy has books called Right Side Up and Warning Signs as Your Teen at Risk, and we have those as resources on veterancaregiver.com. We have also with us Dr. Ingrid Herrera-Yee, who's a proud National Guard spouse, and she's been working with military spouses and mentoring for years. She's also the founder of Male Spouse Behavioral Health Clinicians, and she's currently working at NAMI in D.C. as their military veteran policy director. We have some serious experience on the phone today. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Judy, why don't you start with a little bit about your story and how you came to um, find this topic to be of such personal interest. And Ingrid, please feel free to hold this as a conversation today. Jason and I will just insert questions if needed to keep it going. But you all are the experts in family member PTS, post-traumatic stress, and we'd love to hear your perspectives. Well, one, thanks so much for having me. And before we get started, I just want to commend Ingrid and all she has been doing for our community in this area of, um, you know, depression, PTS, and how it affects the family member. She is often behind the scenes and bringing such great insight and help to our community. So I just wanted to say that before we get started, because what she Perfect. does is incredible. Um for myself, oh, I <laughs> I come at it from a little bit different perspective, you know, not necessarily from the professional perspective. I come back at it from a very much of a life experience perspective. I never intended to be um, speaking about suicide, depression, and addiction in children and teens and young adults until my son had difficulty um, with military life and transitioning into military life and attempted to take his life when he was a sophomore at college. So we were thrust in and his diagnosis was depression, PTS, like that of a three-time combat vet. Mm. Um, And he was Mm. self-medicating with prescription drugs and 
alcohol, and we were clueless. So um, one of the things that I learned very early on was that our my son and other military children in general are amazing at deceiving us on what's really happening. And I think that that is something that I'd love to get into today a little bit because our children internalize oftentimes what's happening as in life as a military family. And unless we are able to see the warning signs of what's happening, it can escalate very quickly and manifest itself as trauma and, you know, depression, addiction, and many other things, high-risk behaviors. Um, Did you see any of the warning signs, Judy? Hindsight, yes. You know, hindsight's always 20-20. You know, um, a couple of things, you know, that I saw was that what I really attributed to typical teen behavior or just adjustment after a deployment were actually serious warning signs that um, indicated that he didn't have the coping skills to deal with all of the challenges he was facing as a military independent or military dependent. So, you know, I think that that's what has proposed, you know, has kind of inspired us to share our story. Um, He shares it as well to military um, youth, as, and I talk to parents, and I think that that piece of if it could happen in my family, it can happen anywhere, and that's what we're seeing across the board as we share our story. Um, I know Ingrid can probably shed a little bit better light on exactly how you, like what medically goes on um, when someone's in trauma or how secondary trauma happens. It doesn't necessarily have to be one big event that causes a child to be in crisis, it can be a lot of different things. So I don't know if you want to take that one, Ingrid. Uh, Yes, it can be um, really anything. It could be something that a child or teenager uh, experiences directly, um, such as abuse or violence, um, domestic violence, or in some cases with teens even, uh, you know, a relationship uh, with a fellow teen that is, is, you know, violent or um, controlling. Um, it could be uh, something like a school shooting or witnessing something horrific or being in an automobile, automobile accident or a plane crash. Um, but what you were alluding to, Judy, um, happens quite a bit, which is that in, in a lot of cases now we're finding that um, this is happening to someone, uh, a spouse or a child. Someone who has PTSD. So they're living with someone in home who is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, service member or a parent, um, someone close, and because of that closeness, they often do end up experiencing the same or similar symptoms as um, the person who struggles with PTSD. The secondary traumatic stress um, doesn't meet full criteria in terms of what you're talking about diagnosing with PTSD, uh, but because of that close contact, um, you see the, the mimicking of those symptoms. Um, arousal, for example, and avoidance reactions. They're, they're afraid to go out or certain uh, situations um, make them fearful uh, if it reminds them of what, say, their parent might have gone through or if their parent is irritable and angry around home, you know, they might become much more um, reactive to that. Um, it, it really is um, 
unfortunately, this sort of cycle you know, that could happen uh, within a family where somebody might have PTSD and then another secondary traumatic stress is going on with uh, you know, another family member. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to different families across the country, what, what I'm hearing over and over is that children are internalizing the situations that are going on, whether it be from, um, you know, a parent having a TBI or having an injury or having post-traumatic stress or depression or anxiety or things like that. The children are internalizing these situations to a much greater degree than we ever suspected. And they begin to take on the responsibilities of fixing and helping and taking care of at a very early age. And so they begin to become caretakers and without the skill sets to actually be able to handle that on an emotional level. You know, Judy, I remember listening to you at a trauma conference, and Mm -hmm. you mentioned that oftentimes teens and youth are protecting their parents because of career concerns. They, They are not wanting to influence anything negatively, and so they suppress anything that may not be just perfect because they are not only protecting themselves and and internalizing it, but protecting their parents' careers in what they think is a way to make it better. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, as as a community in general, we handle logistics like a pro. I mean, Mm -hmm. our kids pick up and move cross-country in days, and they have learned to, you know, set up new quarters and start a new school and all of those kind of things. And they're taught early on to be strong and to, you know, put on their big girl panties and roll on. And I think that somehow they take on that they need to make sure that everything's okay on the outside because they know that the plate that their parents are already dealing with is full. And so they don't want to add anything more to that Mm -hmm. and begin to internalize which, you know, creates more stress and literally becomes this perfect um, breeding ground, if you will, or sets up for the perfect storm of depression, suicide ideation, and addiction. It's like this crisis on the horizon is how I put it, and I really believe between the challenges of military life and what's happening just in society in general gets it's creating this perfect storm that we need to get ahead of to save our children. Ingrid, what would you say are some of the ways that you can recognize this as a parent? Did we lose Ingrid? I can't. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble hearing Uh, you. I said, um, what are some of the things that parents can recognize? I imagine if someone's listening to this, they're saying, oh, my goodness, what do I look for? So what do they look for in their child? Um, yes. Yes. What are some of the signals that are, are red flags? Red flags, yes. Um, well, there are many red flags. Um, and when we're talking about kids, this is even happening, actually, for um, our little guys, child, six years and younger. So when we're talking mm-hmm. about really young children, um, you know, we're talking about um, 
some of the symptoms that adults experience, like um, intrusive thoughts, um, where they, they think about things over and over again, but it, it expresses itself as ruminative thinking. For our little guys, um, they, you'll see trouble sleeping. Um, depression often in kids uh, uh, really materializes in terms of irritability more than actual sadness. You'll see sadness, but you'll also see irritability, increased tantrums, for example, in our okay. youngest. Uh -huh. um, and Ingrid, I'm sorry, we're going to have to hold that thought. We're going on break now, and we will be back, and we will continue with that. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. Picking up where we left off, and we are we were focusing on what are some of the indicators that are present when these types of issues arise. Judy, why don't you take that? Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, I, yep. Go on. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize Ingrid could hear us at the moment. We're having a little sound difficulty. Go ahead, Ingrid. Uh, yes. I'll continue with the symptoms um, that you might see in your kids. Um, some of the other symptoms I know I left off talking about. Um, intrusive thoughts, some tantruming. Um, you'll also find that they have problems with sleep. Um, and they might show, I think the biggest indicator is they show a difference, a change in their behavior, something that is not the norm for them. That is often a red flag is when you see some serious changes in, in their mood, their behavior, uh, and in how, you know, they, they are within the family. Um, so you need to pay close attention to changes in behavior different um, ways in which they interact with you, um, increased irritability and um, tantruming, and also, um, of course, the very specific depressive symptoms like changes in appetite, changes in sleep, changes in energy level. Um, all of these things are, are red flags for kids or teens who are struggling with um, possible post-traumatic stress disorder. As, sure. as well as try avoiding avoiding feeling detached. Sometimes they appear to be uh, flat in affect, and, and that means that, you know, they're just not really reacting um, very strongly in terms of their emotions. Yeah. So I have, I have a question. So, um, you know, I have a nephew, right, and, and he's, um, you know, he's coming into age, if you will, and he's, uh, he's 13 right now. 
And, you know, he's plugged into a lot of different things and he can sort of be unplugged, if you will, from the family and be somewhat um, reserved or somewhat hesitant. Um, how are you able to, in today's society, able to differentiate between what would be, say, a normal uh, present modern day teenager behavior versus something where, um, you know, they are starting to withdraw on a much deeper level? How, how does a parent look for that? Great question. It, I, I'll take this one. <laughs> um, this is Judy. It's, it's one of those things that I always encourage parents of teens to go with your gut. Um, you have been raising your child forever, and a change in behavior is the first indicator. And sometimes changes in behavior are natural progression of them trying to break away, um, relying, you know, on the opinions and influence of their peers as opposed to their parents and things like that. Where it gets to be a little more tricky is when the behaviors, while they might be so um, subtle, that they are really different. Things like have they begun to act out angrily in things before where they would be just a little grumpy about, you know, family afternoon games or something. You know, now are they angry about it? Are they withdrawing completely to everybody? Or is it just one or two specific people? And it's one of the things that I noticed with the parents that I talk to across the board or teens that are um, dealing and getting treatment for depression and suicide ideation or addiction is that all the teens and young adults that we talk to say they wish their parents would have left an open door for communication Mm. and not told them what to do. So it's one of those things of... You want to provide an environment that your child can come to safely and openly without worry of being judged or without you telling them exactly how they should handle things. As parents, so often when we have our teens, we want to jump in and fix it. The problem becomes we have so many things going on in our society, and our teens right now are more challenged than ever because of social media, because of sure. um instantaneous things. So you're looking for those behaviors that are things like, are they treating their brothers and sisters differently? Are they, um, their, the way they dress, how they do their hair, are they taking more time, you know, to get ready? Are they, do they have all of a sudden they're worried about their body image or their looks or have become extremely negative when you're talking about emotional warning signs? Um, Physically, have are they getting sick more often? Because those are things that are showing that there's high stress levels on the body. And so when you notice different things like that, they can be indicators that your child doesn't have the coping skills that they need. And I always go, and I'm sure Ingrid will agree, preemptive is better. I'd rather be wrong than wait too long. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Have that conversation and ask your child, are you okay? Or I noticed that you're becoming, you know, wanting to spend time in your room. Can you talk to me about that? Or no, I'm here to talk about it. And just giving them that opening, you know, I didn't know everything that was going on with my son, but I let him know, and I think that that's why he's still here today. 
I said, I know you don't want to talk to me about this, but I also know that something is wrong, and I'm here. And when it came to crisis, I was the call he made just because there was that opening, and he knew that I could help him because I had told him that I could. And so often as parents, we don't want to say anything for fear of putting an idea in our child's head or alienating them anymore. And I say, you, you're the parent always, and if you feel like there's something wrong with your kid, be preemptive. I'm sure that's, that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think um, just to sum it up, right, I mean, adjust and understand the baseline, right? Sort of look at mm -hmm. what the baseline of behavior is and then use that as a sort of a navigation point um, to guide you through the changes, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's got to be. a marked difference. You're looking for a difference in their behavior in the child that you know. And beyond the typical teen, um, you know, angst that we see, um, these kids actually, they tend to, it tends to last longer and it's, it doesn't change from situation to situation. So even if you take them to Six Flags, they're still not going to have a good time. Huh. That's the key difference. Interesting. Yep. So and oftentimes they don't even know. Oftentimes your teen, especially in, you know, I would say from 12 and up, um, they don't know. And they don't know what's wrong with them. They just know that they, that something is missing, that something isn't right. And a lot of times, if you can help them explore that, you know, we live in an age that is instantaneous gratification, that everything we do is online for all the world to see. And our kids are connected by their devices 24-7. Mm-hmm. And they judge themselves based on the status posts of every other teen in the, you know, that they know or that they are connected to on social media. And they begin, you know, they can often internalize and say, I'm not good enough. You know, your typical um, teen insecurities are exasperated to such a degree that they lose sight of what's good. And then when you take it to, you know, cyberbullying and things like that, and just these little underlying curves, it's a continuous stress that builds over time. And that is as much of a, um, you know, oftentimes post-traumatic stress is not just that one event. It is a lot of small stressors that build up over time and, you know, that continuous exposure to intense stress and living in that fight-or-flight mode causes mental illness and depression and anxiety and all these things. And if left undetected and our, we don't provide um, the medical intervention that our kids need to find those coping skills, they begin to self-medicate or do high-risk behaviors, as was the case with my son. They need relief from that stress, and they will find it if, right. in unhealthy ways if we don't help them get the coping skills they need. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yes. And, and Ingrid, I have a question directly for you because I think sometimes people get very confused about these terms. Can you define the difference between secondary PTS and PTS in youth? Uh, yes. Um, well, the, the most basic difference 
is that PTS, PTSD, is mm-hmm. a diagnosed disorder in the DSM-5. The mm-hmm. DSM-5 is what clinicians use to diagnose and treat um, any, you know, variety of, of mental health disorders. And so that's really the most basic difference is that one is a diagnosed disorder, PTSD. Uh, secondary traumatic stress is not diagnosed. Um, it is basically a stress reaction. Um, it's really someone who is feeling the effects of someone else in their family or in their life who is dealing with PTSD. So they are, um, you know, really experiencing those symptoms um, related directly to the family member um, and, you know, what they feel from them. Uh, PTSD, on the other hand, is something that they experience directly. Uh, Either they've been through a traumatic event or, and this is kind of a, it gets a little confusing, but or, you know, they could um, be diagnosed with PTSD because Mm -hmm. they're experiencing their own direct symptoms that do meet criteria based Mm -hmm. on their parents' um, own diagnosis of PTSD. So that's extremely confusing, but uh, let's just <laughs> clarify that one piece. So if you have enough symptoms that qualify um, for you to be diagnosed with PTSD, you will be diagnosed with PTSD. If you don't and you're living with someone who has these symptoms and yours mimic theirs, but you don't quite meet the criteria, then you have secondary traumatic stress. And, I and think this that is, is often something that caregivers actually experience is right. secondary and traumatic isn't stress. It- Exactly. Um, and isn't it also sometimes in children called generational PTSD? I hear uh, those yes. two terms used interchangeably. They are usually actually used interchangeably. Um, it's just another way of saying you live in a family um, where there's someone identified with PTSD or sometimes more than one someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, you grew up in that atmosphere. You might grow up with some some symptoms of trauma, um, and and then, you know, you have PTSD as well. It's not, it, it sounds like it's contagious. It's not contagious, nothing like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're living with it, and, and you're reacting to those symptoms, and, and, and you are going through, you know, similar uh, mood uh, symptoms. So that's really, I hope that makes sense. That's the difference well, between well, those. It can get confusing. Well, but I think it makes sense if you think that you're living with someone who has PTSD and possibly a TBI and the reactions that come in some of those, and then you learn to adjust to life in the family, which may mean behavioral differences, uh, communication differences, and so you cope. It's a coping mechanism sometimes, uh, the difference. So, no, I, I appreciate you describing those differences. We have only a very short time and I th- in, before the next break, and I think that perhaps we will take the break a little bit early because we'd like to talk in the next segment about the connection between PTSD and suicide risk in family members. Does that sound okay with you, Ingrid and, and Judy? Okay. Perfect. Sounds great. Okay. We'll be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. 
join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. here with Jason McNamara, our co-host, and our guests, Ingrid Yee and Judy Davis. We're going to continue with what we were discussing before the break. And Ingrid, I'll direct this question to you. What is the connection, if any, between post-traumatic stress disorder and suicide risk in family members? Well, there's been a lot of research around uh, the connection between uh, PTS and an individual's increased risk for suicide. The problem is with a lot of the research that's out there that has anything to do with suicide, we're not counting our family members. Right. We're not looking at kids. We're not looking at spouses. So there's not a lot there. But what we do know from what we've studied in in veterans, both Vietnam-era veterans and um, newer veterans, OIF, OEF veterans, is that there has been, um, they have found that suicide risk is higher uh, among those who have either experienced directly or vicariously vicariously experienced trauma due to symptoms of PTSD. Um, And so studies have shown that um, anxiety diagnoses such as PTSD are significantly associated with suicidal ideation and attempts. Um, so this association uh, between suicidal behavior and an anxiety disorder um, have been actually, a, it's been found to be a pretty clear connection. Um, and it's disconcerting that there isn't really any research out there looking at our kids, looking at our teens and our spouses um, when we think about suicide and suicide risk. Because we know anecdotally um, that out there, there are stories about our family members um, being at risk for suicide and actually um, going through and committing suicide. So there's you know, a clear connection, but we don't have any research to back that up in terms of our family members. But we know anecdotally um, out there um, with people we know, and for me in, in treatment with, with family members, I can tell you that I've seen a really high um, risk of suicide. There is some research out of California that looked at teenagers and mm-hmm. um and in terms of their parent parental deployment, there there was an increased risk, but it didn't look at PTSD directly. Mm-hmm. So I hope that helps give you a little bit of uh, background on what's out there in terms of suicide risk and PTSD um, well, for our service members anyway. And well, hopefully we can do more research to look at our family members and try to battle that stigma around, you know, researching and and looking into what goes on for our families. Well, you bring up an interesting point, because every year there is a proposal written and taken to the Hill to discuss tracking military family member suicides and suicidal attempts. 
do you believe that it's the stigma surrounding it that is preventing that ever from going further? I think that's a part of it. I know it's a part of the NDAA 2015, and I'm hoping that um, it's resuscitated there. Um, but I think that part of it is that, that, as we know also, things that go to the Hill, it's about money. Um, and so um, I think that as they're cutting things, um, you know, they're looking more at um, the service member. And I understand that, rightfully so. Um, but we also need to take a look at our family members and their risk of suicide. Um, and I'm hoping that if we shine more of a light on it, mm-hmm. that it'll move beyond just being a part of the NDAA 2015. And actually, um, you know, it'll be taken on. And um, and I'm hoping that through my work, actually, with NAMI, um, that we as an organization will start to do that this year. So, and, and I would just add to that. Sure, go ahead. I would just add that I think that one of the um, places that we're also lacking when it comes to tracking statistics and tracking family members is oftentimes, um, you know, we're tracking and a lot of the stats come from people that have been in the military, you know, and up through retirement. Typically, if they there's separation prior to retirement, you know, after maybe four years of service or things, we aren't tracking that family and how they handle mental and behavioral health from the effects of when they were in service. So there's this big gap of, you know, people that might have gotten out that we don't have any information on. And in general, um, the teen suicide rates are increasing. I mean, they account for... um, definitely 20% of all teenagers across the board, civilian, and this is civilian numbers, experience depression before they reach adulthood. And, you know, every 24 hours, 1,500 teenagers attempt suicide. And that does not include the military numbers at all, which is frightening because the, the stress levels in our military children are so much more significant. And, um, oftentimes it takes years for them to manifest and things, which was the case with my son. It wasn't until he had the additional stress of going off to college that it triggered and brought to surface all of the stress and intensity and anxiety that had been building up during his high school years when my husband deployed. So I think that like Ingrid said, there needs to be so much more research. There needs to be so much more tracking and follow-up of families that are dealing with the um, constant cycle of deployments and Mm -hmm. TDYs and that because there are, you know, residual effects that we will not feel or see for years to come. And as all of these kids that have been in their youth up until, you know, the age of 12, multiple deployment cycles, multiple stressors dealing with all the fallout of being a nation at war, as they hit their teen years, it's going to just explode. At least that's my opinion. And from what yeah, I've and remember, to, most of our kids, uh, you know, the, this current, um, you know, war started in 2001. Most of our mm-hmm. kids now have lived their entire lives uh, in a nation at war. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, couldn't somebody say that, you know, dependents are, are covered under sort of the same system that is well-trained 
to help veterans um, in the context of um, like the DOD healthcare system, and they receive care at the same same entities, the same providers, the the same healthcare network. Couldn't someone just say that um, that why don't we start looking at um, some of the data that sits within the dependent network? I think that's what they're trying to do through the NDAA is they are trying to track um, TRICARE um, so that they can look at the statistics. And I'm hoping that they're going to look at not only um, completed suicide but attempted suicides because that gives us a lot more information as well in terms of how many how many of our kids and teens and spouses are suffering um, in silence. Well, it, it even gets worse than that. In some cases, um, I know of, of a very tragic story with a family where their son had depression and he asked them to give him the suicide list questionnaire and he scored off the charts on it and they said to him, well, you're just too young for that. Let your antidepressants take control. This was through a VA Mm -hmm. hospital. Unfortunately, that was a completed suicide and um, it's not a solitary incident. So, we are shining light on this today for a very specific reason, and we will continue to do that because family members do go through a lot. They are, as Jason just said, in the system. But I think there also needs to be an education of the symptoms, even to our medical professionals, to be more aware of you know, what is the CPR for behavioral health. We, we know what heart attack uh, victims you know what we're supposed to know for them but behavioral health what are the abcs that you need to know to alert people and social media can be a help with that it appears but it can also be a hindrance because of what you were talking about so how would you address opening up the communication other than to be non-judgmental how would you do proactive support within these uh, families i think i you know, just to take this, I think it begins with educating community leaders, mm-hmm. mentors, teachers, you know, getting in there and really starting that educational piece mm-hmm. as well as educating our parents. The reality is while our system, you know, the DOD medical system in TRICARE is set up to um, take care of our service members and their families, the reality is access to care is not always available. Mm-hmm. And when you have a family that may have gone home while um, a service member is deployed, um, you might have them doing recruiting services in a remote place or, as in our case, um, my dependent was in college and there was no access to care there. And in states like Texas, there's a shortage of psychiatrists and psychologists that can actually treat, that are willing and able to accept TRICARE. So while, you know, it's great that we think, you know, there's great care available, access to that care becomes a problem. So in order to be proactive, one, we have to educate across the board, helping people understand what to look for in our children, all those things that Ingrid talked about, the you know, in the first segment, and we need to teach families how to actively um, get access to the care that they need as opposed to just going, you know, there's no doctor in this area. Well, what other things can they be doing? Who do they need to talk to? I think so often family members are falling through the cracks, not just on the mental and behavioral health issue, but because of the stigma 
they're not as willing to share their stories out there and go, I need help because my child is in crisis. They, they don't, they aren't as ready as if they would if, they, if their child had, say, diabetes. That's an easier thing to be an advocate for. And I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Ingrid, but that's um, what I'm seeing. We have about a minute that. left. I, I completely agree. Um, and I think the other side of the coin, because um, you just put that beautifully, I have nothing to add other than um, the other side of the coin is our providers. Um, there was, this, there was um, some research out just this past year that 90% of providers that work with our military, that are community providers, are not versed in our, in our culture. And, you know, the need for um, mental health providers who live the life, at least, you know, like my network, military spouses um, who are trained in it, or at the very least who are, you know, trained in our culture to understand um, the pressures that our kids and teens go through um, that is unlike their civilian counterparts for the most part. Uh, I think that's also key here is um, that's the provider side of things. Perfect, Ingrid. Thank you for that. We're heading to our last break, and we will be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Dynamic Woman, Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. And welcome back, and thank you for joining us. We are talking about a pretty sensitive topic today, and we're talking about um, post-traumatic stress, and um, but with the, the focus on family members outside of the veteran um, because it does have such an impact across the family. And uh, we've had a, an amazing 45 minutes here of conversation, but we want to steer the conversation to um, pathways to support. Um, there's probably a lot of noise out there regarding this, um, deciphering what information is accurate and what is not, and where to, where to lean on for help. And so with that, I'd like to sort of open it up to just a general question. Where do people start? Where do they start to try and find help? The first place that I often ask people to, to get started is um, if they're not comfortable speaking directly to a mental health professional, because that's a big leap for a lot of people because sure. of the stigma. Um, and often they don't even know how to reach out to a, a mental health professional. To start with your primary care physician. 
ask them questions, tell them about what you're seeing in your child or your teen or in yourself. Um, you know, talk to them about what changes you're seeing, what's going on, what's troubling you. Um, if you're not comfortable speaking with your physician, if you are um, in a religious uh, you know, community, um, seek out the help of, say, a pastor or a chaplain in the military, um, someone that you can speak to um, in confidence uh, who can answer your questions, and, and they have great referral sources as well. Uh, online, uh, Military OneSource has a lot of uh, very useful resources. These, the ones that I'm suggesting now, are the ones that um, are, I would say, the easiest um, if you're having trouble talking about these types of issues or if you have a lot of questions and you're unsure, uh, these are really good sources of information um, and they're confidential. Um, beyond that, I would go, I would move towards actually trying to find a mental health clinician um, to speak with because that is as confidential as well. Um, and that's the one thing I think bottom line is when you talk to, to a professional is that you don't have to fear that, um, you know, you're going to affect your spouse or your parent's um, career in any way because no one's going to know. This is completely confidential um, information, and they will provide you with resources, information, support, and a treatment plan um, to help you uh, really move forward. And yes. I don't know, Judy, if you have some specific websites or other information um, that you would suggest. Well, I, I would definitely say, you know, I would, you know, ditto everything Ingrid said, and I would just take it to the next step of find a place that you can be authentically yourself and speak about what's going on. And I say that with caution because, you know, you don't want to put all your business up on tomorrow's Facebook post. But... There are groups and Twitter chats and social media um, avenues that have some great support systems for parents of children suffering from these things or if you're suffering yourself. But even before you go and seek treatment, you know, if you find that your child or yourself are having issues, you want to find someone who will listen. So as you go to your primary care or you know, reach out to some different um, therapists or things like that. Understand that one size doesn't fit all. And because that person was perfect for your neighbor does not necessarily mean it's perfect for your family. So, you know, you want to get a full medical exam because there could be underlying things going on medically that are causing some of these issues as well. So I always say don't automatically jump to the mental and behavioral health but, you know, look at it, look at your family history. You know, what are the actual symptoms? Start writing them down so when you go and reach out, you actually have, you know, a thorough understanding of what you want to talk about and you're presenting your case. Because sometimes when you're trying to get access to care, many times I'll just say, oh, and I hear this all the time, you know, I went in to, for my child, and they just assumed that I was depressed because my husband is deployed and dismissed my concerns with my child. So arm yourself with data to take with you specific examples, specific illnesses, specific behaviors, anything that you can, and write it down because that will, give, that will empower you to get the treatment that you need for your child. So. 
Is there help uh, from other families going through the same thing? Did you find in your case, Judy, that there were other families who, when you opened the door and said, I'm concerned about X, Y, Z, that they said, I've noticed that too? Because oftentimes there are some close-knit groups, and if there is more of a it-takes-a-village perspective, does that happen, or is this the untouchable because of the stigma again? It's it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, okay. Prior to anything that happened in our family, I honestly, it was not something that they talked about. Even with other family members that had teenagers with, that were deployed at the same time with my husband, we would sit, you know, in our, we'd all meet for coffee or something and say, you know, my child is having this issue at school. It never came down. We never talked about could it possibly be a result of deployment? It was just our kids need to be stronger. You know, we just kind of did that. Mm -hmm. Um, However, when my son and I began sharing our story, I'm blown away and um, it worries me and humbles me all at the same time because every day we are getting calls and, you know, emails and connections for families that are in crisis and going through this. So I think that the more we can encourage people to share their story in an empowering way, not a victim way, I think that we can begin to um, open up the doors for people to get treatment. You know, shows like this are, you know, the reality is this is going on in our community. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. Take ownership of what we could be doing better because I think that that's the way that we make progress. And no one out there, whether what it is, there is nothing wrong with getting help and seeking help. In fact, it can save lives. Early treatment saves lives. That's just a fact. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're worried about your child, if you're worried about yourself, you know, get resources, um, you know, I have the book, the Warning Signs book, that will tell you specifically what to look for. There are, you know, millions of resources out there on the sites that Ingrid said, and just reach out to someone. You know, reach out to Ingrid, reach out to me, and we can point you in the direction. And you know, don't kill uh, yourself. Sorry about that. And so, just to be clear, um, militaryonesource.mil. So www.militaryone. That's spelled out. Source.mil. Um, just a. a question though right so um i'm i'm sort of trying to put myself in um in their examples so um i think some things are happening i'm not really sure i'm not quite confident to approach my pastor i'm not quite confident to approach my behavioral health provider um i i am looking for just some information so i can become more educated how do i go through that discovery process where could i turn to for that where i'm not necessarily ready for and you know approaching somebody to intervene, I want to feel more comfortable and less vulnerable um, and learn about what I think is happening. Where does someone go for that? I mean, there has to be some guides out there or some sort of roadmap for folks Mm -hmm. as they start to discover this with their family, shouldn't there be? Yeah, one of the very best guides out there right now is actually through uh, uh, the VA, uh, www.ptsd.va.gov. Um, basically, the, the, the VA has done an excellent job of, of outlining uh, PTSD 
and how it affects the service member, how it affects family members, and there are resources for both providers and for families or even individuals who are, believe they might be suffering from PTSD. So they have fact sheets, they have videos, they have real stories from families and veterans themselves. They have a myriad of resources available through that website. Um, and I would highly recommend that if someone's just sort of exploring and wanting to find, you know, whether this might apply to them, that would be a, an excellent um, resource for that. Now, if you, have a, if you are a family member who is looking for support um, and maybe an online support group um, and even resources as a family member, couragebeyond.org uh, is another wonderful resource. Um, they have um, support, live support groups um, for spouses, for um, you can, they talk about their kids there. Um, there's a lot less available when you're trying to talk about online resources for kids. Um, but um, givenhour.org is a wonderful free um, resource if you want online counseling um, that's also confidential, free, and you can access it in your home so you don't have to worry about the stigma of going into an office and speaking with a mental health professional and also if you don't have access to a vehicle or you're in a rural community and you don't have access to a provider, uh, givenhour.org is a wonderful resource for that as well. You know, I've got a question. Are there any resources for kids to help kids? Um, I have actually, um, that I am aware of, I have not found any good. Mostly it's about parents helping their kids. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of any uh, directly, Judy. Um, no, that's Again, exactly. we're finding another scarcity. Uh, the research mm -hmm. is scarce in terms of suicide for our kids, um, and I'm finding that resources that are kid-to-kid -kid, um, are kind of hard to, to find as well, or even professional-to-kid. Exactly. I, I would agree with that, and um, what, that is one of the things that um, – you know, my son and I started the livingthroughcrisis.com, and that is a place where families can go, and we will eventually have the peer-to-peer. -peer. We're in development of that right now, but we have resources and discussions going on there um, that people can do if they want that first step. By no means are we a replacement for um, physician care or those kind of things, but we're a great place just to understand um, and get some hope if your child is going through something so you know i i am very touched by the fact that you all came and shared all of this very very deep information today i think shining a light on something that is sensitive as jason put it but is so critically important and rounds out the experience for the military family we have to address the things that are not always so positive as well as the things that are positive so we stress communication as much proactive education as we can and we will post these resources for you on the website and we are delighted that you joined us today for ptsd can be a family affair and please seek help and information if our discussion resonated with you or spurs you to talk to your family and friends thank you very much and see you next week thank you for listening to mill resource radio for more information go to millresourceradio.com